Well, if you have your Bible with you again this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 16. If you're a guest with us today, we are working through this section of the book of Psalms for the summer. We've come to one of my favorite Psalms in recent years, Psalm 16. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 575. And I hope our time studying the Psalms together encourages you in your own private devotion in life to spend time in the Psalms. Uh, this has become one of my favorite books in the Bible over the last three or four years. I spend time in it every day, and I've found it to be very helpful. And I pray that uh, these sermons and our study together encourages you to do the same. This morning, I'll speak for a few minutes on this subject, secure, satisfied, and singing. Psalm 16. And this is what the Word of God says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Apostle Paul declared that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. And this statement is a fitting description of the days in which you and I find ourselves living. For all of us are just one phone call, one text, one tweet, one news report away from increasing difficulty and hardship. Ours is a world of peril and strife, leaving us with increasing anxiety, worry, sleeplessness, and fear. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all the, of that adversity, Psalm 16 reminds us of the only true source of security that exists, God. And at a very hazardous time in his life, David realized that only God could preserve him in his life and only God could preserve him in his death. And in this psalm, David ponders what anchors him rather than what alarms him. Psalm 16 is a personal hymn of joy that focuses on the goodness of the Lord. The personal pronoun my is used over a dozen times in these 11 verses. David's joy is expressed in words delight, pleasant, pleasure, and glad. And David finds his delight only in the Lord and confesses that everything good in his life comes from God and God alone. This psalm is also a messianic psalm. For in his message at Pentecost and in his sermon in the synagogue at Antioch, both Peter and Paul said that Psalm 16 refers to Jesus. And these men used this psalm in their preaching to Jews to demonstrate that Jesus' resurrection was in the plan of God all along and that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And as Peter quoted and preached from Psalm 16 and applied it to Jesus, the Bible says that the crowds in Jerusalem heard him and 3,000 people 
came to know the Lord. So since David is speaking for Christ, Psalm 16 gives us a window into the heart of Jesus. When David says, me and I in this psalm, he is speaking for Jesus, the great son of David. For Psalm 16 records Jesus' thoughts as he lived his earthly life and as he walked the hard road to the cross. This is how Jesus was strengthened in his soul as he faced the cross. And as you and I face trouble and hardship that seems to shake us to the core, Jesus' thoughts here in Psalm 16 need to be our thoughts. His feelings in Psalm 16 need to be our feelings. You'll notice in your Bibles that at the very top of verse number 1, there's a superscription, and it says that this psalm is a mitkum of David. This is the first time this word mitkum is used in the psalms. It's repeated in the inscription in Psalms 56 to 60. And all of these mitkum psalms end in a happy note of triumphant joy and victory. No one really knows what this word means. Many people have given all kinds of definitions for it, and so it's best for us just to leave it as it is. It is a psalm, a mitkum of David. Psalm 16 describes David's confidence in the Lord his God. No matter what he faced in life, his trust was anchored in the Lord, and this caused David to rejoice. David looked beyond the uncertainties of this life to the security, to the sincerity, to the satisfaction, and to the stability that he had in God. And all of this caused him to sing a song of salvation, rejoicing in God and God alone. And as a result, David could boldly and confidently say, I will not be shaken. So notice with me what David teaches us in this psalm. In verses 1 and 2, we see David's security. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Notice how David begins this psalm. He begins it with a prayer. It is the only petition that David will make in this psalm as he asks God here in verses 1 and 2 for protection. He begins by saying, preserve me, literally to keep watch over me, to keep me, God. And as a shepherd, David knew what it was to watch over his sheep. He knew what it meant to preserve his sheep from danger. And now David is asking God to watch over him and to keep him and to preserve him with the same care and concern of a shepherd. This is a personal prayer from David. It is a cry of desperation as David cries out to God, Preserve me, O God. And you'll notice that the basis for David's prayer is the fact that he has put his trust exclusively in God and God alone. Notice the language that he uses in verses 1 and 2. He uses three words for God in these two verses. First, he uses the word God in we translate it El. It's an abbreviated form of the great name for God, Elohim, referring to God as the creator. El describes God in all of his strength and in all of his might. He is the omnipotent one. He is the all-powerful one. And so David cries out and he says, Preserve me, Elohim. Preserve me, O God. You are the mighty one. You are the omnipotent one. And then he uses the word Lord. And you'll notice that the first time he uses it, it is in all capitals. It refers to Jehovah or Yahweh, the God of covenant. He is the God who enters into a saving relationship with his people. And then the third word that he uses for God is the word Lord with all of the letters except for the L in lowercase. It's the word Adonai meaning he is the master, he is the ruler, he is the king. And with the use of these three words, David is saying that God is his maker, God is his mediator, and God is his master. And this God, and this God alone, is the only one who can preserve him and keep him and watch over him. And that's why David found his refuge 
in God. Now it's striking, friends, that David begins this psalm running to God in this way. Remember, David was a man of strength. He was the one who defended his flock of sheep from lions and bears. He's the one who defeated Goliath with a sling and stones. He is the one who led his army to overwhelming victories. And yet at the outset of this psalm, this strong man is declaring his utter weakness and his utter dependence upon God and God alone. He is resting everything, his body, his soul, his spirit, his very existence on God's protection. And it's a reminder for all of us this morning that taking refuge in God is not for the weak. It's not the last option for the strong when other, all other options have failed. Taking refuge in God is the action of those who understand, listen, where true security is found. David understood what you and I need to understand, that only God, only God can protect us from the dangers, the distractions, the diseases, and the despair of life. And friends, if you are putting your security and your trust in all of these issues, in anything or anyone other than God, it will fail you. We need to learn what David knew. And because the occasion of this psalm is not given, and we do not know the immediate threat or situation that David finds himself in, we can put ourselves right in the heart of this prayer. And we can pray like David prayed, trusting God to preserve us from our enemies and to keep us in a close relationship with him. Additionally, you'll notice in verse number two that in this prayer, David confessed his absolute devotion to the Lord, declaring that he would only worship and serve God. And David committed himself to God because he was convinced that God is good. Notice what he says in verse number two. By way of confession, he says, I have no good apart from you. It literally means that my good is not beyond you or apart from you. Or he could literally be saying, God, you are all the good that I need. And that if you don't preserve me and if you don't keep me, there will be nothing good in my life. You are everything that I need, God. All of the goodness of this life is found in you and you alone. And David is teaching us that every Christian must be convinced that the God that we have come to sing to and to pray to and to worship and to kneel before is a God of goodness. He is a good God and that only He is good. And James in the New Testament reminds us that God is so good that there is not one good gift that doesn't come from Him. Listen to what James 1 verses 16 and 17 say. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And my friend, when you believe this truth about God, you can rest in His goodness. You can rest in His security, even in the midst of adversity and trials, even in the midst of disease, even in the midst of despair. You can rest in the goodness and the security of God. That's why Alan Ross said in his commentary, without a firm conviction of the goodness of God, Guilty fear will take over. Insecurities will run away with you. Prayer will become hoping against hope. And praise, if it exists at all, will have a hollow ring to it. What you and I need is a constant awareness of the goodness and the grace of God. And David understood this. And he found his shelter and he found his security in God and in his goodness. And in God and his goodness alone. And so may I ask you this morning, dear friend, who or what are you trusting in for your security? Are you, are you trusting in your retirement plan? Are you trusting in your health benefits? Are you trusting in the government? Are you trusting in yourself? Who is your refuge? 
Who is keeping watch over your soul? Who is preserving your going out and your coming in? Can you not see by the words of this psalm that if you are putting your trust for security and goodness in anything other than the Lord, it will fail you? Only God in His goodness can keep you secure. Why would you run to and trust in anything else for your refuge? Oh, friends, it's a fool's errand to do that. Well, we not only see David's security. Secondly, in verses 3 and 4, we see David's sincerity. And he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Notice what he is saying carefully in verse 3. David delighted in God's people, and he refers to them as the saints and the excellent ones. And delighting in God's people is where our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with others always meets. For the Bible is clear, friends, that if we love God and we delight in Him... We will love God's people and we will delight in them. Listen to John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And John is essentially saying that our faith in Christ should spill out and pour over in our lives in such a way that it creates a deep love and care and esteem for the people of God. And if you say that you love God and you just don't like the people of God, then the Bible says to you this morning that something with your love relationship with God is wrong. Because your love with God should always translate into your love for people, especially the people of God. And in verse 3 of this psalm, David reminds us that we don't live the Christian life alone. That we are a part of a great spiritual family. And that as a part of this family, all of us need one another. And that's why the Bible encourages us repeatedly with the one another commands of Scripture to treasure our fellowship and our relationship with other believers and to not neglect this aspect of our Christian life, which many people are so quick to do. Dr. Danny Aiken, in his book, Exalting Jesus in the Psalms, says, to delight in God's people is to take delight in the Lord's goodness. This is God's plan for his people. And there are seven reasons why we need other saints. He says we need the fellowship of God's good gift. We need the instruction of God's good gift. We need the accountability of God's good gift. We need the rebuke of God's good gift. We need the comfort of God's good gift. We need the love of God's good gift. And we need the presence of God's good gift. And without God's people, listen, we stumble. Without God's people, we falter. Without God's people, we, we grow cold. Without God's people, we become cynical. Without God's people, we lose our passion. Without God's people, we miss out on the blessings God provides in and through all of these excellent ones. And hear what David is saying. He's saying, when all of my world is crashing in around me, I'm praying to God to preserve me and protect me. He's my refuge, and I'm delighting in the people of God because they're upholding me. They're strengthening me. They're walking with me. They're running in the same direction that I'm running in. I'm not in this alone. I've got a company of brothers and sisters in Christ. And David is teaching us that if we're going to make it through this turbulent world as Christians, we need the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ to remain faithful in the Lord and to the Lord to the very end. My goodness, friends, if you've been through the new members class, you've heard me say even Batman had Robin. We need each other. Notice why we need each other in verse 4. David contrasts his delight in God's people with his declaration that he'll reject the lure of paganism and pluralism. 
Notice how he says it. The sorrows of those who run after another god, they'll multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I'll not pour out. And I'm not even going to speak the name of these false gods on my lips. And he's reminding us that those who exchange the true God for idols will always increase in their sorrow and heartache. They'll waste their time and money on what is futile. They'll pervert their souls. They'll plague their spirits. And they'll destroy their bodies. And as Calvin observes, they'll overwhelm themselves with new troubles, provoking God's wrath against themselves. And see, friends, he's illustrating for us in verse 4 why we need verse 3. Why do we need the people of God? So we won't fall prey to paganism and pluralism. So that we won't fall down and bow down to the idols of this world. So that we won't speak their names on our lips. So that we'll continually run to God as a refuge and run to Him as a strength. So that we'll be upheld and we'll not be alone. Oh, if you and I are going to be sincere in our pursuit of the Lord and our faithfulness to Him to the very end, we need one another, brothers and sisters. And the worship of God, the false gods of this world was not a temptation to David because he pursued God with sincerity and he pursued the people of God with sincerity. And he kept all of this before him. So I ask you this morning, does your love for God translate into your love for his people? If not, something is desperately wrong with you this morning. If you don't have love for the people in this room, how can you say that you're right with God this morning? How can you convince yourself of that? Like David, do you delight in the saints? Do you delight in the excellent ones? Do you love and enjoy your fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And dear friend, do you not see in these verses the danger of isolating yourself from the people of God? The reason why you're struggling this morning is because you're trying to do it all alone. The reason why you're struggling this morning is because you've removed yourself from the family of God. And you're experiencing the consequences of that. Students. When will you see that you will never be fully secure and satisfied in God as long as you ride the fence? Pretending to be one type of person when you come to church and living a whole nother life away from your parents, away from church. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be secure. You'll never be real living a double life. An unbeliever. Hasn't the sorrows of the false gods you've been serving left you empty and broken? Aren't you frustrated with this emptiness? Why would you not turn to the Lord today like David and find joy in him instead of sorrow in the things of this world that will never satisfy you and will leave you empty? Well, we not only see David's security and sincerity. Third, we see David's satisfaction in verses Five and six. Notice what he says. These are tremendous verses. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David's satisfaction was centered around four words in these verses. Do you see it? Portion, lot, lines, and inheritance. And these four words point back to the time when after the conquest of Canaan, Joshua divided the land between the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the language that David is using. And each tribe was given a portion of the land by lot with clear boundary lines marking the borders of their land. And this land was their inheritance to be passed down from one generation to the next. And all of the tribes of Israel received this portion and this lot with these boundary lines as inheritance except for one, the tribe of Levi. And Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20 tells us why they didn't receive this portion. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, 
neither shall you have any portion among them. Why? Why didn't God give the tribe of Levi a portion of land? Why didn't he give them an inheritance? Well, listen to how the verse ends. For I am your portion. I am your inheritance among the people of Israel. The tribe of Levi received a portion. They received an inheritance. But it wasn't a portion or inheritance of land. It was God himself. God was their portion. God was their inheritance. And David uses these same words, portion, lot, lines, and inheritance, to describe his satisfaction in God. And David is essentially saying what God said to the tribe of Levi. He's saying, preserve me, O God. You are my security. And I am sincerely pursuing you along with all of the saints and the excellent ones. And God, I am satisfied. I am satisfied in you. You are my portion. You are my lot. You have set the lines around my life. And you are my inheritance. And in a similar passage of Psalm 16, the psalmist Asaph, like David, described his contentment in God. And after being envious of the prosperity of the wicked, and after treating God harshly, he made a bold declaration of his satisfaction in God. And this is what he said in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom I have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. That's David's testimony. Oh God, I'm a satisfied customer. You're my portion. You hold my lot. God, my very life is in your hands. You're my inheritance. And I am satisfied. Friends, true security and satisfaction never comes from what you own or what you possess. It never comes from your position in life. It only comes from knowing God and living in his presence. It only comes from fellowshipping with him. You can have everything that this world could possibly offer to you and never be satisfied. And don't you know that's true? You save up, you get something that your heart has desired forever. And the moment you get it into your possession, you think about the next thing that you want. You take your children to the toy aisle. They want it all. No, you pick one thing, and they get the one thing. And on your way out to the minivan to put the toy in the car, they're asking about the next thing in the aisle. Because we will never be satisfied until we find our satisfaction in God. And notice what David says in these verses. He says, you are my cup. And when he talks about God being his cup, he is speaking of his destiny. The cup in the Bible refers to the wicked in a judgmental, fire and brimstone way. And the cup in the Bible refers to the righteous as a blessing. And David is saying, God, because you are my portion, because you're holding my lot, because you're holding my very life, because you've put your boundary lines around me because you've claimed me as your own because my inheritance is in you God I am experiencing the cup of your blessings and I'm satisfied I don't need anything else when I have you God you are all that I want and all that I need and don't miss it friends this is in the midst of his adversity this is in the midst when things are shaking and crumbling around him. And he says, God, you're my cup. You're my cup of blessing. He didn't say, God, where are you when everything's falling apart? He said, God, preserve me and keep me. You're my blessing. You're my inheritance. And I'm satisfied with you. God, you're the one who sustains me. You're the one who refreshes me. You're the one who keeps me. You're my inheritance. You're my portion. And I'm safe. Dane Ortland in his book, In the Lord I Take Refuge, asks, have you tasted this? 
Have you been freed from the endless quest to secure satisfaction and joy in the things of the world? Have you been ushered into the invincibility of knowing that no matter what you lose in terms of your health, your finances, your marriage, your children, your job, your emotional sanity, that the Lord is your ever-present refuge and life? Did you hear that, friends? Have you been ushered into the invincibility of knowing that no matter what you lose, no matter what you lose in this life, the Lord is your ever-present refuge and life. You lose your health. Your health is not your refuge. The Lord is. You lose your finances. You lose your home. That's not your refuge. The Lord is. Your marriage is crumbling. The Lord is your refuge. You're having trouble with your children. The Lord is your refuge. Your job is not working out. The Lord is your refuge. You feel like you're losing your mind. You're depressed. You're discouraged. You don't know where to go. The Lord is your refuge. Haven't you learned that? Haven't you learned what David learned? Oh, friends, if God gave you help, but he didn't give you himself, would you be satisfied? If God gave you a nice home and he gave you relaxing vacations and plenty of money, but he didn't give you himself, would you be satisfied? If you went to heaven and the streets were solid gold and the air was clean and bright and there was no more sin and there were no more relational conflict, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be satisfied? What desires of your heart are allowing you to be robbed of your satisfaction and your refuge in Jesus? If Jesus was all you had, would he be enough? We see David's security and his sincerity and his satisfaction. Number four in verses seven and eight, we see David's stability. And he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. In verse 7, David says he has stability because the Lord guides him. Look at what he says. He gives me counsel in the night and also my heart instructs me. And the word that he uses for night suggests night after night. Night after night, God is visiting David and counseling him, and David is learning from God. And not only that, but in the night, his heart instructs him. It carries with it the idea of discipline and chastening because David learned from God's instruction and God's discipline and his counsel. And it's a reminder, friends, that the God who rules and sustains the universe rules and sustains you. Because haven't you realized, if you've lived life long enough, haven't you realized that the nighttime is often the worst? It's, it's when you can't quiet your mind. It's running in a million different directions. It's when worry and fear come to visit you. It's when emptiness and loneliness settle deep into your heart and into your soul. It's when despair grips you and it keeps you from sleep. And David says, I have stability because in the night when all of these fears and all of these anxieties and all of these despairs and worries come to visit me, God has given me counsel. God is instructing me. God is guiding me. Do you ever wonder how David received this counsel and instruction that he's talking about in verse 7. Well, Psalm 119, which is almost solely focused on the word of God in verse 24, says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counsel. That's where David got it. The word of God counseled him in the terrors of the night. And what did he say he would do at the beginning of verse 8? He would set the Lord always before him. He would have undivided focus. That's how he found his stability. He was ever mindful of the Lord, giving priority to him in all of his thoughts and in all of his actions and in every area of his life. 
and he knew that God would guide him and instruct him. And in verse, <clears throat> verse 8, he says he has stability because the Lord guarded him. He was at his right hand. Speaks of a position of highest exaltation and honor and authority. It describes being supported and protected and provided for. It's guidance, it's security, it's defense, it's direction. And David is saying, God visits me in the night. He counsels me, he instructs me, he disciplines me, he directs me and guides me. And then he's at my right hand as I go about my daily life. He's protecting me and he's leading me and he's guiding me and he's defending me. I'm surrounded with his power. I'm surrounded with his presence. I'm surrounded with his protection. He's preserving me. How in the world could I be more secure than this? I'm stable. Do you understand, friends, what he's teaching you and me about God? That nothing can come into our lives unless it passes through God's hand. Nothing. Nothing. God is the one who preserves and keeps. God is the one who keeps you from stumbling. God is the one who keeps you stable. And with the Lord as your guide and as your guard, you have nothing to fear. And that's why David could say in this verse, I will not be shaken. Oh, and don't you wish? Don't you wish you could say that same phrase? But so often the reality of our life is we are shaken. We are full of fear. We are full of anxiety and worry. So how could David say something like this? Well, he wasn't shaken, friends, because in verse number one, God was his safe refuge. And in verse number two, God was his sovereign Lord. And in verse number two, God was his supreme treasure. And in verse number seven, God was his sure counselor. How could he not be stable is the better question. If God was at his right hand, if God was guiding him, and if God was guarding him, how could David not be stable? God is unmovable, and therefore David was unmovable. I will not be shaken. He wasn't shaken, friends, because he wasn't looking at his circumstances. He was looking at his God. He was caught up in the goodness of his God as his refuge. And you and I must make a conscious effort to keep our eyes on the Lord like David. And like David, we should choose to see the goodness of God in our lives, even in the midst of our most difficult situations. God is faithful. He is all that we need, and He is better than anything else you and I could imagine. And listen carefully to me. To experience the fullness of God's presence and the fullness of His guidance and the fullness of His comfort in the midst of trials is greater than living a trouble-free life without Him. It's greater than that. You really come to know who God is in the midst of your adversity. And it's a greater comfort to have Him in those circumstances than to live a trouble-free existence. In our darkest moments, His light shines the brightest. And in our most difficult hours, His sufficiency breaks through. And so I ask you this morning, is your stability in God? That's the only way you'll make it through this life. This life is too dangerous. It's too full of despair. There's disease everywhere. Just go get on WebMD, and you'll put yourself in a frenzy in about two minutes. Is that where your stability is found? So you can get the proper diagnosis? Or is it found in the God who created you and keeps your lot and holds you in the palm of his hand? The God who promises that no one will be able to ever take you from his hand. The God who promises that nothing will be able to snatch you from him. What more stability are you looking for than that? Well, we see David's security. We 
We see his sincerity. We see his satisfaction. We see his stability. And finally, and aren't you glad I said finally? We see David's song in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol and let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice how he begins verse 9. Do you see it? It's the word therefore. Well, what is the word therefore, therefore? Well, it's referring back to verses 1 through 8 and everything that David has said in these verses. Don't you see it, friends? Verses 9 through 11 are the climax of the psalm. He is building. He's secure. He's sincere. He's satisfied. He's stable. And all of this brings him to a place of singing because David knows that his prayer in verse 1 will be answered and he's overwhelmed with joy and gladness and rejoicing with all of his being. And the joy of verses 9 and 10 is based on the stability of verse 8. I will not be shaken. This is whole person security. Body, soul, and spirit. And David is saying that the Lord who faithfully preserved him in life will faithfully preserve him in his death. But I want you to notice the language of verses 9 and 10. Because these verses cannot be exclusively applied to David. Because David died. And David was buried. And David saw corruption. No, Peter, in his very first sermon in Acts chapter 2, he quoted verses 9 through 11 in his first sermon and he applied these verses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and this is what he said in Acts chapter 2 verses 29 to 32 brothers I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And what David is reminding us of this morning is that God the Father did not abandon his son to the grave, but he raised him on the third day. And as a result... If you and I know Christ as our Savior, we can trust God not only in the face of the difficulties of life, we can trust Him in the face of death because He will not abandon His people to the grave. And He's proven that to you by resurrecting His Son from the grave. And I'll remind you this morning, friends, in a world that is fixated on living and trying to avoid death, that for all of us, death is not the end. There is a bodily resurrection to come. There is a bodily resurrection for Christians where they will receive a resurrection body like the Lord Jesus Christ himself and they will dwell in his presence forevermore. But listen to me, dear friend. Lest you be confused and deceived, there is an, also a resurrection for the unbeliever. And you too will receive a body built for eternity. But this body built for eternity for you, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, it will be built for eternal punishment in everlasting flames of hell because your sin had never been removed from you by Christ. Can't you see that David is able to sing for joy at the end of this psalm because he has hope beyond his difficulties and his problems and he has hope beyond death? And that's the only way you can sing. Knowing where you're going when this life is over. And I want you to think about this, friend. What kind of God would he be if he would shower your earthly life with blessings and forget you in your death? He wouldn't be the God of Psalm 16. No, the God of Psalm 16 is the God of life, and he is the God of resurrection, and he will never abandon you in your darkest moments, and he will never abandon you in death. 
And David could face death head on with a glad heart and soul. And he could rest in the grave in hope. Knowing that one day he would come out of that grave and be in the presence of his Lord. And notice what he says in verse 11. Because of this hope that he has, he sings of God's blessing him with life in his presence. And he says that the path that the Lord shows us on earth today will end in even greater life when we enter heaven. There we will be in God's presence and we will experience the fullness of joy. And we will experience God's pleasures forevermore. One of my favorite passages of the Apostle Paul, especially in recent years, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The whole chapter is gold. But listen to his conclusion in verses 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what David is singing about, friends. That the troubles of his life are transient and temporary. And he's acknowledging and realizing that all of the difficulties he is going through are not even worth thinking about in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for him in Christ's presence. Where there will be joy and pleasures forevermore. And that's a good reminder for us this morning. Why are you losing heart? Why are you so discouraged and defeated in your soul? Why are you wringing your hands in anxiety and weariness? Why are you staying awake at night as if you're in control of everything? Why are you letting your heart do that stuff to you? All of these things that have consumed you don't consume God. And they're not even worth looking at in light. Listen to the language of the text. The power is in the Word of God, not the preacher. Listen to the text. A weight of glory. It's a heaviness. It's a consumingness when you are in the glory and the presence of God. All the things of this earth will grow strangely, strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's weight. That's substance. Listen to me. You can build your life on that. And His right hand pleasures forevermore. That'll give you something to sing about. So I ask you today, do you have this kind of joy? Do you have this kind of confidence? I just, listen to your pastor, I just had a deathbed conversation last night. Eternity is real. It's long. It's forever. Do you have the kind of confidence and joy that David has in death and in your eternal destination? Do you have this song of salvation in your heart? Or, or do you come to church and you say, I wish they'd quit singing so much. I wish they'd just quit singing so much. We could get out of here a whole lot faster if they quit singing so much. No, no, no. I, I, I want to teach you. You learn theology when you sing. You need songs in your heart to live in this world. And you don't need the songs of the world in your heart. You need the songs of Zion in your heart. And I would submit to you this morning, you don't need to sing less. You need to sing more. Because if there's joy and salvation in your heart, you can't keep it inside. It's got to come out. So Christian. Fix your hope on God. 
Fix your hope on the God of Psalm 16. He is the only safe refuge from the ever-increasing and ranging dangers of this world. David's security was not in himself, it was in God. He trusted God to preserve him in his life and in his death. Like David, Christian, always set the Lord before you, constantly meditating on his character, rejoicing and delighting in his protection, in his provision, and in his promises to you. He will lead you and counsel you on the path of life, and he will bring you to the place of ultimate joy in his presence forever. Oh, don't forget that, Christian and non-Christian. What is your hope for eternity? Do you anticipate being with Christ in heaven? If so, non-Christian, why do you think you possess that hope? If Christ is not your joy in life now, what makes you think he will be the joy of your life in eternity? If you're not following and living for Christ now, why would you want to be with him forever? Would you not see today, non-Christian, that all you are trusting in for security, for satisfaction, and for stability will fail you in the end? Christ is the only sure and steady anchor for your soul. And as the world continues to shake and crumble around you, Christ is the only one who will keep you from stumbling. Christ is the only one who will keep you stable. He is the only one who will keep you from being shaken. And so I ask you today, non-Christian, would you not turn from the false idols of this world that have left you empty and turn to Christ, who is the only one who can give you life in his name? Well, First Baptist Church of Wheeling, listen to your pastor. Endure and persevere through these times of difficulties and the difficulties yet to come. If you are in Christ, you have security for your refuge is God. So pursue him with sincerity, finding your satisfaction in him and him alone. And no matter how much the world rages with its drink offerings to its false ideologies and gods, you have stability, First Baptist Church, because the Lord is your portion. He is holding your lot, and he is your inheritance. So, First Baptist Church of Wheeling, join with the saints and the excellent ones throughout all the ages and sing this song of salvation to God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. For He is worthy. He is your refuge. Let's pray.